This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Kim Grinnells of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund, Washington versus Cal. 7.30 kickoff tonight in the new look Husky Stadium with all the new LED lights. Get there early. It should be cool. I guess they've got some pretty cool stuff planned for the new introduction at Husky Stadium with the LED lights, the purple smoke. So those not familiar with the LED lights, I don't know what they called the old lights, but those things would take about 15 to 20 minutes to uh, warm up to get uh, to full capacity for their lighting. LED is like a light switch. It goes on and off and changes colors and you can do all kinds of cool stuff with the lights with make, basically making a light show. Chris, you're old enough. Remember Laserium? Is this going to be like Laserium back in the day? Uh, possibly. I mean, I've been to the laser thing before. I mean, I've done <laughs> when they've done music and stuff and they've done laser shows in conjunction with it you talk about the one by the science center yeah 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 no that was cool that was cool I, I and i also went to the cal washington game back in 2019 where it took them a half hour to get the lights back up after the power went out and was out for what an hour and a half or whatever it was some Didn't ridiculous we have that, Didn't that, we have that, that was with the oregon oregon state i'm pretty sure yeah it's happened oregon a couple th- it's happened a couple different times so but yeah yeah so they'll go right on. Hopefully they get a little bit of this fixed. I don't. You guys can't notice it down in uh, up in the press box, but down on the field uh, for the first two home games this year, when they've started the intros, the sound on the stadium, it's the crowd's louder than the sound on the stadium. So talk to Andy Fee um, in the athletic department about that, and he was down in the stadium and he said he didn't understand it either. So hopefully they get that resolved because that thing should be thumping down on the field it sure was at michigan state so hopefully they get that rectified but i'm uh, really interested and intrigued to see what they do on pregame with this lighting thing that they have um we saw it last year down at the rose bowl uh, i think they did it overdid it a little bit but actually talking to one of the guys basically the people who um do the lighting they also have computer programs so you can just press that button after a touchdown and things happen and press this one. And they've got all kinds of different things that they can do with it. So can't wait to hear the complaints about the light show because it's going to be a little bit crazy. But uh, let's just jump right in. Uh, Chris, last week, Michigan State, I thought that most people thought Washington would win that game. Uh, there was one prominent reporter that had upset alert expecting Michigan State might be able to upset Washington. But boy, Washington went in there and just carved them up yeah no it was a school record 713 yards against michigan state it's the most yards a school has ever put up on michigan state ever home or away um yeah it was the second most by washington i think second to the what was it the san jose state game in 96 the the cory Dillon year yeah. if i remember right um yeah michael Penix now has the top three uh, passing yardage games uh, in Washington history now because um, he has the 
you know, he threw for 473 yards, which is actually third most. And I think he he threw for like yeah. over 515 or something like that last year. Um, I don't remember if that was the Wazoo game or not. And then he threw another one last year. He threw for like 480 or something in another game. Yeah. Um, just <laughs> ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> the the ability to to throw down the field to to Roma Dunze, Jalen McMillan, Jalen Polk, uh, just outstanding. And Scott, what still just we keep on seeing it, but every time you see it, you just go, how do they do it? First pass Michael Penix makes. Nobody's is anybody even on the TV screen around Jalen McMillan when he catches that first yeah, pass? Yeah, I and know. First, first pass, 39 yards. Cause and he was, he nobody, was, no, nobody was around him. It was about a 20-yard pass and then a 19-yard run. I mean, it was crazy. And, and um, just, you know, guys were coming open. And even when they weren't completely open, uh, they were still making just – Great catches. I mean, that that catch by Jalen Polk on that 37 yarder that he caught down to about the what two or three yard line, whatever it was. And oh my gosh, I mean, he's just getting smacked from behind. Then you have Romo Dunsey going up for that 55 yarder down the down the middle of the field and and uh, go stretches to make that catch. You have Jalen Polk catching the tip pass, um, you know, and then taking it in for a touchdown. Washington's receivers are just making some plays, and Mike Penix is putting it where. Basically, only they can go get it. So um, it, it, it every week it surprises me. I, I said it in my my uh, my uh, game prediction that uh, every week Michael Penix does something that he just keeps topping himself. And it's hard to imagine that he's able to do it, but he does keep doing it. And I see another game like that this week. I have to make a confession and hopefully I won't get suspended for two weeks Um you know, but if I see Anamari Kase, I'll refer to her as Anamari, not on uh, your honor president. But I saw I saw Jalen Polk in the tunnel on Wednesday coming up the tunnel. And I asked him when you caught that ball and then you got hit on the back and then you landed flat on your back. <clears throat> did it hurt? What do you think he said? No, <laughs> no. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he landed flat. If you landed flat on your back like that, Scott, how would you feel? Well, I, I mean, it, the thing is, that you got to remember these guys' bodies are built up like they are. They they're in football hitting shape, so it's completely different than you or I going out and making a catch like that, but and and then getting hit like that. But no, it would hurt definitely. Um, you know, I probably have the wind knocked out of me. But you know, he's he's a future NFL receiver. Whether that's going to be in 2024, 2025, 20, he's going to be playing on Sundays and getting paid very well to do what he does. And um, I the the sad thing and not sad, but the the sad thing for uh, Jalen Polk is that on any other team in this country, he'd be the number one wide receiver. And right now he's the third option in this offense. And and that's just scary. Hey, Chris, when they first got Jalen Polk out of the transfer portal, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. I thought he was just going to be a guy. I thought he was just a depth guy. Has he exceeded your expectations from what you originally thought when they got him out of the portal? Well, 100% for a couple reasons. First of all, you know, no one would have known anything about him uh, coming from Texas Tech. I mean, you would have kind of drawn to the natural assumption that if he was playing receiver at Texas Tech, that meant he was probably pretty good. Like if you if you saw Washington picked up a defensive back or a linebacker from Utah next year, for instance, I'm not I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm just using this as an example of a, a, a particular side of the ball or a particular position at a particular school, 
a lot of college football fans who kind of know what's going on would say, oh, okay, well, that's interesting because usually a receiver from Texas Tech in, in an air raid style offense or in, a, or in a passing attack would be something of note. So there was that. But the other thing is, is that he was connected with, I, I believe it was Caleb Berry, if 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 I remember right. That yes, was the high, player. High school teammates. Yep. Yeah, so they played together in high school. So a lot of people naturally assumed, oh, he's coming because of Caleb Berry. So that's the connection. It's not because maybe he's just really, really good, yeah. which we found out in time that that's been the case. He's He's been uh, more than advertised. Well, sometimes you wonder when a kid enters the portal, is he entering the portal because he's unhappy with the situation there or are they running them off? And we've seen both here at Washington, but, you know, I I was get, kind of getting the feeling that they might have might have shown him the door. But after what he's done up here, I don't think that's the case at all. Well, well how- in talking to Polk, just real quick, Scott, in talking to Polk, like in the last couple of weeks or so, you know, everyone knows what he did last year and, and he was considered the third receiver and all that. But I think now nationally, there's a lot of people out there that are really singing his praises. Um, if I remember, I think Bud Elliott, uh, who's on the cover three podcast, CBS with 24 seven, you know, he he's been singing Jalen Polk's praises for years. I guess he saw him at one of the camps in Texas before uh, he signed even with Texas Tech saying this kid, this kid's going to be great. And, um, you know, right now there's a lot of guys out there that think he could be as good as as, as either Roma Dunze or Jalen McMillan. And I think we've been talking about it, guys, that he could probably be the the number one receiver at almost any other Pac-12 school. Um, He talked about it just being he thinks like he says he he sees by faith and like instead of like seeing the thing, he thinks there's a legitimate reason that he's here at Washington with these guys at this time, like it was meant to be. He really firmly believes that. Yep. Hey, just uh, real quick, just want to touch bases. Um, injuries this year, this week. Um, it looks like they got out of the Michigan State game unscathed for the most part. Uh, Jalen McMillan got dinged up a little bit, but Coach DeBoer said that he should be fine. Uh, Julius Bulo, uh, the hat, they did a little bit of mixing and matching on the offensive line and brought in the Hatchet Brothers, but um, it didn't look like anything real serious for Julius Bulo. Any other injuries that we need to update on? Uh, I just I, I'm kind of wondering if if those injuries. Well, I mean, obviously we'll see pregame today when they're warming up. You know what whether or not they've been underselling those injuries or not. Because I'm here to tell you, at least on TV, uh, the at Michigan State that injury to Bulow looked pretty big. Like it, now, I granted, I know he came back out and all that stuff, but they talked about him going in right. to get maybe an X-ray or an MRI or something to figure out what was going on with him. And so it wasn't, it wasn't just one of those things where it was a quick yeah, go to the trainers, come back and everything's cool. He was walking with a, not a heavy limp. He was, he had a little bit of a hiccup, um, you know, with his uh, walk, but it didn't look like anything uh, that would be long-term. And if it was an ankle, you know, they might be able to just tape that thing up. But the other one was, uh, I think that kind of caught us off guard a little bit was Cameron Fabi Fabi Kulan and, and, it was weird. He was sitting on the uh, bench just in warmups. And I'm just I'm wondering if it maybe was a concussion thing because he didn't he wasn't limping. I didn't see anything out of the norm. But um, typically, if it was a concussion from the previous game, I don't know if maybe he just didn't get cleared. But it was a little bit odd when we first saw him. 
yeah, yeah, I, yeah I, I, I agree, Kim. You know, we had not even heard about that and, you know, hinted at by anybody. So because uh, we had and said that he was probably going to be the first one in for Asa Turner. So that's one we need to address as well, Asa Turner. But um, back to Cam Fabi Kulan and, you know, I mean, it, missing him, um, you know, I I don't know if I would have said this, but that that was a potentially a big loss for Washington because of the way he's played so far this season. But Vince Dunley came in and did really well, and the coaches were pretty happy with how he did. Mikella Steen, I think, continues to look pretty good. So Washington, I don't want to say they're deep at safety, but they definitely have some depth there. Uh, but Asa Turner, um, you know, I've, I've heard that he could be out two to three weeks. We'll have to wait and see. Um, so it really just depends on <clears throat> what happens with uh, with these guys. And, and then um, – and then uh, Jalen McMillan, you know, goes out. That was a guy that we had to uh, just kind of keep a look on, <clears throat> keep an eye on. And and it sounds like he's he's just fine. He could have played, but they didn't need him to play anymore. So he missed basically the entire second half. And then um, the two that went out uh, that are out for the season that uh, Chris put a story up on on Monday when Kalen DeBoer uh, referred to it. But um, Davon Banks, the defensive back, and uh, Mateo Mele, the center, they're both out for the entire season, and and Kim, you and I spoke with Scott Huff this week, and he just said I could cry right now for that kid because he's worked so hard, he's waited his time, and now he's a starter, and then he goes out first game, basically he's basically lost or second game, whatever it was, lost for the season. So um, sad news on that on that, but Washington has been able to fill in with some guys that uh, they think are pretty good. Hey, hey, Chris, uh, I always say the fans oftentimes around here like to have that pinata that they can beat with a stick, you know, and just constantly harp on. We've seen it many times over the year. Never understood why people were uh, on Asa Turner, but I think I think that's a big loss losing him. He's a big kid. He's a big, good sized kid for a safety. I thought he was playing real well. He was playing well. And it's one of those things where if you lose him and, as Scott said, when you lose Cam Fab on top of that, going into a big road game like Michigan State, now all of a sudden you're really starting to wonder, okay, not only who is going to start, but who's going to be backing these guys up. And as it turned out, uh, if you looked at Pro Football Focus after the game, Vincent Nunley not only started, but he played more snaps than any other defensive back that played at Michigan State. And that was his first start. So it really does underscore just how much faith and trust the coaching staffs have on guys stepping up and being those next men up. That was a big, big deal. But if they can get Asa Turner back tonight, that would be massive because not only do you get that experience back, but now you have another guy in Vincent Nunley who's who's experienced the big time. He's gotten a taste for it now, and you know he's going to be champing at the bit to get back in there and show that he, you know, that the Michigan State game was just the start of what he's capable of doing. Yeah, just kind of wrap up the Michigan State experience going back there. Um, they do things first class at Michigan State and talking to the people that have been around the Big Ten, just saying, you know, hey, Michigan State's just the middle of the road when it comes to the facilities and everything there. But from everything I saw at Michigan State, everything was top notch. It was first class, much better than what we see here in, uh, you know, Pac-12 country. Uh, the grass field was as uh good a field as I've ever seen. I mean, it was meticulously maintained. Just the back areas for the media, the meeting rooms, the locker rooms all looked fantastic. Uh, so the guys were talking about the basketball facilities. Uh, they all uh, had a chance to meet with the football guys. They all had a chance to meet with the basketball coach, legendary 
Tom Izzo, and they just raved about the quality of uh, what was going on uh, at the at Michigan State, which was kind of funny because I had to go up the stairs and through the stands to get up to the media room, which was also first class. But yeah, once I got up into where the concourses were and, <clears throat> and the concessions, it wasn't as nice as some of the other areas. But the other thing that's going to be interesting, you know, over the next year, starting next year, that five hour flight back, you know, coming back from uh, Detroit. Uh, coming back in that three-hour time difference, it takes a couple of days to recover. So it's going to be interesting to see how these teams handle that East Coast travel back to Ohio, back to Michigan, back to Rutgers and Maryland, Penn State. It's a five- or six-hour flight back there. Um, by the way, we got in a half hour early, but we sat on the tarmac for 40 minutes. So that's pretty much typical for SeaTac, right? So, yeah. It is, but I you you spoke you spoke yourself this week to uh, Zion Tupola Fatui specifically about the time difference, and he was saying getting there and playing the game was no problem. He said if he's having any issues when it comes to either adjusting to time zones or yeah. sleeping or any of that kind of stuff, he goes, "It's when I came back." He goes, yeah. "So this week it's been a little bit more of an adjustment, just." which he found a little different because, you know, I'm coming home, right? You know, finding my own bed, I should be much better. He goes, if I've had any trouble sleeping in this last week, either adjusting to going to Michigan State or coming back, it's been coming back. Well, how do you think that some of those 300-pound linemen feel after being on a plane for five hours? They're in a well, chartered flight. Yeah, I was going to say chartered flight. Made for people their size, Kim. Yeah, yeah. they're fine. They're yeah, fine. yeah. So it, it'll be interesting to see how and Like that Scott, Scott Huff said, they don't get to complain. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't matter. We don't care. It, yeah. You got to do it. So. Well, I complained. You guys seem to care. That's just because you guys are a lot better than the football coaches, I guess. Yeah, I don't think so. They, yeah, whatever. No. <laughs> uh, wait, wait, wait. Game. You're you're under the impression that we care? No, he's not. Just That's on paydays. Okay. Just okay. on paydays. Yes, exactly. <laughs> hey, um, you know, getting to the game tonight, 7:30 kickoff. Um, I didn't think Michigan was a very good team at all. Is Cal better than Michigan? Michigan State. Michigan State. Yes. Yeah. No, they're not. They are not better than Michigan State. When you take a look at that Cal offense, Washington's defense really surprised me last week. I don't know what the difference was. I don't know if it was the opponent, but to me, they looked different, and the defense was outstanding. And when you take a look at this Cal offense, boy, you just worry about the quarterback. They've got former Washington, Oregon hero, uh, Taj Davis, and Jaden Ott at running back, who's arguably the best running back in the country. But does Oregon, uh, does Cal have the firepower to score against this Washington defense, Chris? Um, I think I think well, I don't think they have the firepower to match Washington score for score for score for score. No, I don't think they can do that. If this is a, a game that's that that where Washington scores in the forties, California's not going to score forty against this defense. They're just not. But what I think what's interesting is okay, so they've got a new OC in Jake Spavitel who this is his second time at Cal because the first time was the final year under Sonny Dykes before Justin Wilcox took over. And so back then he was running more of the air raid style that Dykes is known for, uh, kind of that wide open attack. Now it's like, as you mentioned, you mentioned with Jay Knott, they, they, it feels a lot more balanced because they have a really good attack with both Ott and then Isaiah Fonse, if that name should be familiar to Washington-based folks who watch a lot of high school – Isaiah Fonse played at Bellevue High School before going to, um, what was it, Montana State, if I remember right. And so uh, Isaiah Fonse is actually having a pretty good season for Cal, too, after transferring um, from Bozeman. So 
it's interesting to see how Spavital is going to kind of, because he's known more for the up-tempo air raid style and all that stuff. But I think it's so what's so fascinating about this offense, guys, and I don't know how much uh, games you've been watching so far of their first three games, they've got two quarterbacks that have been splitting time, and they're, they couldn't be more different, at least in my opinion, just watching them. Because you've got Ben Finley, who I believe transferred from North Carolina State, and he's more like a Michael Penix guy. He's going to be a pocket guy who who could travel. He can scramble a little bit, but he's really going to be a guy that's going to stick in the pocket and try to find the ball down the field to guys. Um, and then you've got another guy, Sam Jackson, the fifth, who's a TCU transfer, who's like a Taylor Green or you know some of the best kind of dual threat guys. Not a great passer, but man, he he is electric with his feet. And it, I would think Sam Jackson starts tonight because he's the one that's they've been kind of leaning on recently. Uh, but I'd be shocked if you didn't see both quarterbacks at some point tonight. Jade not Scott, is he the best running back in the uh, in the conference? No, he's not the best running. The, the best running backs reside, in my opinion, at least down down at Oregon. I mean, watching what they did to Washington last year, watching what they did to several teams last year. Bucky I, Ir, Irvin is that his name? I can't remember his name. Bucky but Irving. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that guy. Well, why do you hate Why do you hate Damian Martinez? Yeah, I, I love Damian Martinez, but I I think Oregon's got the better running backs. But Damian Martinez is a hell of a running back too. Now, Jay Nott is really good though. He it. If you put Jaden Ott on a better team with a better offensive line, because Cal's offensive line just isn't that good. Um, if you put him or or even an offense like put him in an offense that isn't like Washington's, that isn't going to throw for, you know, throw for 450, 500 yards a game, you know, maybe maybe throw for upper 200s, low 300s. He's going to get you. He's going to he, he's going to get you 120 to 130 yards a game. I mean, he's that kind of a back. But he just doesn't have a, a supporting cast around him. He can catch the ball. He can run. He can, he can get, get long gains down the, down the sidelines if he gets the edge and things like that. So he's a guy you got to hem in, but, um, and, and I think he's a, you know, he's probably a top five, top six backs in, back in the conference, but you know, he's, he's, uh, he's, you're not going to see a guy who's going to be able to really, um, exploit things because I just don't think he has the blocking in front of him. When you take hey a guys, look at real, real quick, Kim, real quick, yeah. uh, he did not play. So Jade not did not play against Idaho in their last game. And so I think he's nursing something. I, they haven't really specified. I know Justin Wilcox said that Ott should be good to go tonight, but there's no guarantee because he didn't play last week. So one of the things we're clearly going to be looking for in the pregame is to see how not only if Jade not is out there, but how does he look? Is he running free? Does he look like he's kind of back to his normal self? Because it's not a, a guarantee that he's going to play tonight. And even if he does, is he 100%? Because that could end up being a big key to the game. Or is he just rested? He could have been. He could very well have been. Like, you know, yeah. for instance, with with Asa Turner or Fatui Tuatele or some of these other guys that didn't travel to Michigan State um, and didn't play against Tulsa either, is this just – more precaution or do they literally have something kind of longer term that they're dealing with I, since since it hasn't been specified what's going on with jay not we just don't know hey scott when you take a look at uh, cal's wide receivers they got uh, transferred from washington taj davis who will ever 
Uh, be in the hearts of Husky fans for catching that long touchdown pass against Oregon, the throw that Michael Penix made. But uh, Taj Davis, um, boy, he, he just went there. He just wanted to be uh, more of a number one guy, and he wasn't going to be that guy at Washington. That doesn't mean he's not a good receiver because I think he really is. But they also lost their best wide receiver. Um, was it Jay Michael? I'm trying to remember his last name. Is it yeah, Jay Michael? Sturdivant. Sturdivant. Jay yeah, Michael I, to UCLA. I, I actually worked for his dad. Before I ever worked at Enterprise Rent, or before I worked for Dogman, I worked for Enterprise Rent a Car, and his dad was my manager. <laughs> so yeah. that, and he he actually moved back to Kansas City, took a promotion back there, and that's where his his son uh, grew up was back in Kansas City, Missouri. But anyway, um, that you know, and Sturdivant's a really good wide receiver, and and so to lose him was was a big hit to their offense. Jeremiah Hunter leads their their team in receptions with 16. But he's only averaging 9.2 yards per catch. I mean, uh, I'm looking at it. Um, there's one wide receiver with two catches that's averaging t- over 20 per game. But, or I'm sorry, over 20 yards per reception. But every other one is 11.4 yards per reception or less. So they're just not an explosive offense. Uh, it's just they're they're gonna sh- they're gonna work on the short passing game. They're gonna run the ball and they're gonna try and uh, shorten this game by keeping the ball. And that's what Washington's really going to have to do. They're going to have to get off the field on third down uh, because Cal will be facing third downs. And if Washington's, you know, defense can hold them to like 35, 40% on third downs, Washington's going to just stroll on, on a win because I, I just don't, as good as Cal's defense, I think is, I think they have a much better defense than their, than their offense is, but um, their offense is going to put them in some bad situations. I think. And Chris, you know, it's hard to criticize a team, but, uh, you know, that's three and oh, and just been romping. But, you know, there's people talking about the lack of a pass rush and the lack of the amount of sacks. And there's reasons behind that. But is this the week that uh, we see Braylon Trice and uh, ZTF break out and get a couple more sacks? I think it's possible. I think a lot of it honestly depends on the quarterback that they're seeing. I think they have a better chance. Of, of going after a guy like Ben Finley than they do uh, going after a guy like Sam Jackson because Jackson's just, again, electric with his feet. He can make really things happen. He can scramble a lot. Um, he's got some Jaden Delora, that kind of part of his game. just He just finds a way to be elusive. Um, now, he can also work his way into sacks, which is kind of the Achilles heel of a guy who's kind of running around there like a chicken with his head cut off sometimes. He, he can run right into a sack. So there's there's that possibility too. So it's, it's kind of one of those things where you kind of, you kind of throw up a coin and is it going to come down heads or tails? You just don't know what you're going to get on snap to snap when things start to break down for Cal's offense, when Sam Jackson's in the game. But a lot of times he can scramble and and get that first down and get what you need. So it'll be interesting to see how Washington adjusts to each quarterback because they are, in my opinion, they're so very different but yes, I think Trice and, and ZTF for the most part, I think they're going to get a chance to to maybe take advantage of a team. Now, I think Cal, if I looked right, they've averaged giving up almost two sacks a game. So and and Washington's kind of right there. So, yeah, I, I could see them getting at least a couple sacks, a couple more sacks uh, tonight. 
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Getting to the Washington offense, Michael Penix. Is he the greatest quarterback ever to play at UW? I keep on asking that, and I think he's part of the conversation right now. He's well on his way, you know, to be one of the top two, three quarterbacks to ever play at Washington with this offense because he looks unstoppable right now. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it helps that the <clears throat> the era of football that we live in, it's a passing, it's, it's totally been geared toward passing nowadays, whereas back when, Steve Pelor and Chris Chandler and Warren Moon and Sonny Sixkiller and those kind of, you know, quarterbacks. If you go back and look at the stats, you know, they were some of the top. Uh, what was Bob Schlerette? He was the top passer in the country, wasn't he? <clears throat> like one of his years that that he was throwing the ball and he threw for like 1,500 yards. I mean, it's it, it's just such a different era. But when you look at it, I, I definitely – um, can see why anybody would think that Michael Penix is the the greatest quarterback to ever play. I would probably vote him that. I've seen some of the greatest quarterback play ever. I'm, I'm 52 years old, so I've seen Billy Joe Holbert, Mark Bruner. I've seen Keith Price. I've seen Cody Pickett. I've seen Warren Moon. I saw I saw Chandler. I saw Pelour. I saw Millen. I saw all these guys play, as and especially as football developed into more of a passing game than a running game, and and I, I haven't seen better than Michael Penix. Now, he might not be the best, but there's no one better than he is. He's probably going to be the highest vote-receiving Heisman candidate Washington has ever had. Uh, he's, well, right now, what is he, second right now in the in the odds, Heisman odds, by, by a lot of bookmakers after Caleb Williams? Well, let, let's just put it this way. Steve Entman was, uh, what did he finish, fifth in the, fifth in the Heisman voting? Right. When he was fourth, yeah, yeah, whatever that was. And Jake Browning got some votes. Wasn't he like seventh or eighth or something like that in the voting or whatever it was? Yeah. Trying to think any other guys that would that would be Heisman guys. Did Tuiasa Soba Soba get some votes? Back in 2000. Yeah, it's Washington. So if, if he gets let's say he gets third or fourth or I'm sorry, third or second in in the Heisman. I mean. He he will be the highest rated uh, guy that ever has come out. Yes. Hey, Kim, the, it's so funny. And Scott, I just I didn't mean to interrupt, but they're just you look at the numbers that Michael Penix Jr. is putting up and they're obviously really, really lopsided and kind of screwy. But there's one stat that I looked at in the last day or two that I still find utterly amazing to me. And it, it really is a combination of what Penix has done. And also what Washington's defense has done for the other side. Think about this for a second. And you're going to have to bear with me, guys. This is a bit convoluted, but I think you'll get to the point here. 
Washington has attempted 121 passes in their first three games. The opponents have attempted 114 passes, right? So there's only a seven-pass difference in how many passes they've attempted. Do you want to know what the difference in passing yardage is between what Michael Penix and Dylan Morris have put up compared to what the Washington opponents have put up? Difference of seven passes. Do you want to take a guess? No. Nope. I guess 500 yards? Try 858. Seven passes. And the difference is 858 yards. That means average per pass. Washington is average per pass. This is including incompletions. This is per all the 121 passes. They've averaged 12 yard, 12.2 yards per pass. Washington has given up an average per pass of 5.5 yards. It's huge. It's, it's absolutely huge. incredible what not only what Penix is doing, but what Washington's pass defense has done. So yeah. I've I've never seen anything like it. Hey guys, um, before the Alamo Bowl, I remember on the pregame that there was a lot of talk. If Washington can get their running game going, that Washington's offense is unstoppable. And when you saw last week against Michigan State, that running game got going a little bit early. Boy, that really opened things up. And I think we got a little bit of a glimpse of the future in freshman running back Tybo Rogers, who looked really good uh, in the second half versus uh, Michigan State. Are we going to see more Tybo today? We've been telling everybody, you know, I mean, nobody was able to see it. And I, I don't blame people if they were skeptical or anything like that. But we've been telling you guys that guy is really good. And he's going to be as long as he stays healthy and as long as he, um, you know, stays stays within the team rules. Like, uh, you know, um, I got to believe that he's going to be one of the most special running backs to come out of Washington in a long time. Hey, Scott, can, just he, just real quick. He's only 17. And yeah, this he, is an, be, this is an, I think he turns 18 in mid-October. And this is so. a day and age where we see 19-year-olds when they come into college. He's like a full two years younger than some of the freshmen coming in, but he's only 17. Yeah, I mean, it's scary how good he can be down the road. Yeah, he's, he's going to be special. Yes, I do think you'll see more of him. I think they're going to – because basically he got a taste of things um, – what what I found amazing, Chris, I don't know if you did, but he led the Huskies in carries. Uh, well, that's yes, one thing I was going to ask you guys is that I, I wasn't surprised that Tiber Rogers got a chance to come into the into that particular game just because of un, un, the unfortunate thing that happened preseason with, in, in fall camp with the suspension and everything else. So he clearly had to work his way back into the fold and he had to do the team stuff and all that. I get all that. So it wasn't surprising to me that it waited until week three to kind of get him on track because, you know, in any other year, if he hadn't missed any time, I fully believe he would have played against Boise State, and he probably would have played against Tulsa for sure. Yeah, probably, especially um, with Cameron Davis being. Yeah, there. but but you're yeah. right. But to lead the team in carries, Scott, I would never have seen yeah. that comment. Well, especially when he that. only played in the fourth quarter. You yeah. know, I I I would have thought, and and he went out. Didn't he miss a series because of he got hurt? Like you know, on that sideline uh, tackle. And yeah, because he landed kind of awkwardly got, like, on the carries. side. You know, to yeah. be honest, when I saw it, it looked to me like hip pointer is what yeah. it looked like to me. Yep. yep. And and then Richard Newton comes in and carries the ball and and gashes him for a couple big big runs. And I was like, 
So so then at the end of the game, as I'm doing the, you know, our just little quick analysis that we do after the game and everything, I was like, he actually led the team in carries. I couldn't believe it. I what was funny announce- was when we asked Lee Marks, you know, has Tybo risen up the depth chart? He just kind of looked at us like we were stupid. He goes, what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> that's and, the, that's and, and I asked, uh, I asked, I'm sorry, Chris, I, I asked Ryan Grubb that on, and he goes, oh, yeah, definitely has. Yeah, because so. if, if you think about it, guys, would we have been shocked? If Tybo Rogers had led the team in in rushing in any one of these three games, I, if I really thought about it, I would have said no because my thought would have initially been, oh, he would have probably got a ton of mop up time against Tulsa, for instance, and so he probably all they'd be doing is handing the ball off. In fact, that was that was the game of the Tulsa game where I think a lot of us thought that we would probably see Austin Mack and Tybo Rogers because there was going to be enough. Uh, mop-up time where Dylan Dylan Morris was going to get to throw his couple touchdowns, and then maybe you know the last two or three series it would be Austin Mack handing it off to Tybo Rogers. But clearly, as it turned out, you know we don't know how these things work because as it turned out, they had a lot of mop-up time and and just trying to run out the clock at Michigan State to kind of preserve this this big this big win. And so yeah, basically the fourth quarter was nothing but uh, Michael Penix and Dylan Morris handing the ball off to Tybo Rogers. Hey, Scott, with uh, the offensive line, if Bulo sits out and they're minus Mateo Mele with uh, Parker Brailsford in there, talk a little bit about this offensive line going into the uh, Cal game. Well, it's it's going to be Parker Brailsford at, at, in the pivot, and you're going to probably see, if he can start, you'll see Bulo at left guard, Kalepo at right guard. But my guess is if Bulo is, is limited or um, the coaches just want to kind of hold him out, um, then I think Kalepo moves back to left guard, and I think you see Garen Hatchet at right guard, and uh, and then Landon Hatchet's probably your first guy off of the bench, and uh, that'll be interesting to watch, um, you know, as a as a left guard or possibly coming in for to spell uh, Parker Brailsford, and you know I it, when when Parker Brailsford had to leave for that one play was his helmet came off, that's why he came out, right? right. Yeah, right. exactly. So, yeah. yeah, so Landon Hatchet comes in. They didn't even blink. I mean, Landon Hatchet looked like he was ready to go. Like they said, hey, you're going to if he has to come out for it all, you're ready to go. And they had he I mean, he just ran right on the field and snapped the ball. It was a shotgun snap. And you're just like, wow, that that is pretty impressive for a guy who's just barely 18 years old. Well, in, in, in talking to his brother, um, Kim and, and Scott, talking to, to Garen before the Michigan State game. We were we were amazed how quickly Garen Hatchett was able to get out there when Parker Brelsford lost a helmet or or someone had to come out and he literally was the next guy in and it was like he was shot out of a cannon and Garen was like well Coach Huff insists that I'm right there with him at all times because you just never know and and essentially the the assumption was is that he could go in at center guard or tackle depending on what the situation was now as Scott mentions it's now it's his brother now it's the true freshman. Who comes in because he can play not only we saw him play at left tackle or left guard. We saw him play at center. Um, yeah, it's it's really impressive. Then the one snap that he had at center. Perfect. I mean, just like you would yep. have expected any of those guys to go in there. No, I don't think anyone, any Michigan State fan that saw that guy roll in with his long hair and everything else. 
and then saw that snap and then saw him roll back right, right back out, I doubt any of them would have thought he, oh, that's a true freshman. You can tell because you can't. Right. Yeah, I think one of the unsung guys was, uh, you know, who's, I think he's an NFL guy. Jack Westover is having a hell of a year. And um, just a uh, quick story real quick. Um, I was uh, down with doing softy show and uh, ran into uh, Westover's brother. And he says, oh, you've got to make sure and give him a hard time because was I can't remember if it was the fumble or the interception last, uh, not this past week, but against Tulsa. And uh, the guy who uh, was running down the field and Michael Penix wound up making the tackle. Uh, he was really uh, his brother was bearing Jack saying, yeah, Jack missed the missed the tackle. You know, he just kind of did the matador thing, forcing Michael to um, <laughs> make the tackle. But uh, Jack Westover, three touchdown passes and he's become a legitimate weapon. Yeah. If, yeah, if he, I remember yeah, correctly, I think that was the pass where McMillan caught it and then fumbled it. Yeah. And then yep. they returned it. Yeah. And and if you see if you go back and watch it, several of the linemen and all of the receivers are just standing there as the guy gets up and runs yeah. and, or not gets up, but picks it up and runs. And uh, Jack Westover, other than Michael Penix, Jack Westover was the only one who really even made an attempt at a tackle. Yeah, well, his brother buried him, which was pretty funny to listen to. His brother just, I mean, that's what brothers do, I guess. But it was uh, it was hysterical. But um, Scott coming up this week, I mean, Scott and Chris, this is good football watching weekend. I know that we don't like the late games, but boy, it's good football during the day. Yeah. And you're talking about Pac-12, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's good all all the way around because I think uh, Ohio State and Notre Dame are playing. Um, but, uh, you know, 1230 is Colorado and Oregon. Everybody's going to be watching that. That's on ABC, UCLA, Utah, Fox, um, at 1230. So people will probably be flipping it back and forth between that. The lat, the pack two is playing, uh, and Oregon state at Washington state. And then, uh, you know, Arizona state at Stanford or Arizona at Stanford, probably not a great game. USC at Arizona state, probably not a great game, but really good games in the pac 12. And then if you just talk about top 25 teams that are going to be facing off against each other, I mean, the, the Ohio state uh, Notre Dame game, it just doesn't get much better than that. So, so here's, here's the, here's the other stat. If that is a game I'm looking right now, I don't see it on here. Yeah, well, but. Florida State, Clemson. Uh, there's, there's, yeah, there is a, a number of other games. I think it, Iowa and Penn State. I think play. They're both ranked. Um, there's some really, really, really good games. But here's the other stat. Uh, the two mind blowing stats that I saw this week. So this week, half of the Pac-12 slate are games where both teams are in the top 25. So you got Colorado at 19 versus 10 Oregon, UCLA 22 at number 11 Utah number 14, Oregon State, at number 21, Washington State. Okay, that's the first time that's ever happened in Pac-12 history. Since 1980, this is only the 10th time that any conference, not just the Pac-12, any conference in college football has had three top 25 conference matchups. And the last time it happened, here's the other one, last time it happened, seven years ago in the SEC. So this will tell you a little bit about the quality of the Pac-12 right now from top to bottom. Lots of good football on the air. So everybody, I'd encourage everybody to get a setup like I have. Three TVs on the wall. It's awesome. But uh, hey, Scott, uh, recruiting. We've got some visitors in this week. And um, just maybe just go tell people what's going on in recruiting. 
So Washington's going to get an official visit out of uh, Josh Larry's a, a high three-star, low four-star uh, safety prospect out of Texas. He's coming up. That's a 2024 guy, and we think Washington's got a great chance to reel him in. It might not happen this weekend, but it's going to happen pretty quickly afterwards. So we think that's pretty good. The other two bigger names are going to be Mason Poza. He's a linebacker out of uh, New Mexico and Zadrius Rainey Saleh out of Bethel High School down in Spanaway. Those two uh, linebackers are 2025 guys, and they're both going to be on campus. They're all, there's also going to be a handful of other guys that will be on campus, but those are kind of the big names that will be here. Yeah, and how many? It, we keep on saying this every time, but we're not expecting a lot of high school recruitment going on between now and uh, the recruiting cycle because we're expecting them to hit the portal pretty well, hard. Well, 2024 guys, yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, and just uh, touch bases on basketball recruiting. Uh, it's, tentatively, we'll have to see if these guys actually showed up, but sounds like there's three guys in. Uh, taking official basketball visits, and I'm going to butcher this name. Uh, Isn't is it with uh, Polly names you just pronounce every vowel? Is that the way you do yes. it, Chris? Uh, in general, yes. That's how okay. that's how it works. So to unde, yesa, yeso ufoa, u. Yeso. Here's the thing, though. He's not Polynesian. Okay. Well, what? It's it's ten ten day yusufo. Okay. Uh, he's a uh, 6'5 uh, forward out of St. Joseph's down in California, number 35 nationally, uh, number 10 power forward and fourth in um, uh, out of California. He's a four star with a 94 rating. Uh, Symmetri Carr is a six foot point guard um, out of um Point Reyes Station, California. I don't even know where that's at, but he's a number 112th rank um, point guard in the country. And then kind of a guy um, out of the blue, Jordan Scott out of Western Virginia. He is a 6'7", 185 um, pound small forward, ranked number 45 in the country. And um, Washington had a, a GA a couple of years ago with Mike Hopkins by the name of Ben Lee. Um, and Ben Lee um, is really well connected back there running AAU programs. And um, sounds like this is something to, um, uh, you know, with a connection to Ben Lee, former Washington GA. Also, towards the end of the month, um, possibly expecting uh, the top guy in the state, Zoom Diallo, out of Tacoma, who's going to prep school down in California. Sounds like uh, Washington may get an official visit out of Zoom Diallo at uh, the end of the month. So something to keep an eye on. Also, real, uh, real quick, Kim, if I remember my East Coast geography, Reston is a suburb of Washington, D.C. Right. So he, it sounds like he's probably part of that Washington, D.C. group that uh, they always put out. I mean, D.C. area always puts out top guys every year. Yeah, just real quick with basketball recruiting for 24. Um, I know Washington's got, you know, guys that are going to graduate, but it sounds like from the the hoops guys I've been talking to, the recruiting guys, 24 is kind of a down year when it comes to um, quality in the uh, recruiting class of 24. 25 and 26, on the other hand, are expected to be elite. So um, I would expect Washington to hit the portal for a couple of guys as well. If they can get Zoom Diallo, Zoom Diallo and a couple of portal guys, I think they'll be happy. So uh, that's what I would expect. And uh, I've got, I've actually got basketball media day and a couple weeks down in Las Vegas. So basketball is going to be creeping up on us. And Chris, that's our favorite time of the year when we got both football and basketball going on at the same time. <laughs> oh, yeah. We absolutely are able to stay out of trouble then. 
Oh yeah, we got nothing. We got no time. If we had time, yeah, something's going on. So yeah, it's going to be kind of crazy. But let's go ahead and get this wrapped up again. Seven thirty kickoff tonight. Um, Chris Fetters, final thoughts going into tonight's game. Yeah, it's just again we we talked about the Pac-12 slate and just how absolutely loaded it is. It's we also know how backloaded Washington's schedule is too. So this is kind of the the storm before the real real storm hits. But as we've seen the last four times Washington and Cal have played, they've always been really, really tight games. So even though I know most of us in our predictions on Friday said that, you know, we, we kind of expect a little bit of a blowout. Um, you just can't, you know, just when you think you've expected something, that's when the unexpected hits. And so w- would it surprise me if Cal made this game a little bit tighter tonight? No, not necessarily, but Again, we talked about it earlier. Just can they match score for score with Washington with this juggernaut of an offense right now? And I just don't see it. So I just I really think at the end of the day, Washington has done enough to improve defensively from last year to this year to get a couple stops, a couple three and outs. Um, you know, I think Cal's going to try to maybe mix and match a little bit with their quarterbacks. Jay Knott, whether he can play tonight is going to be massive. Because as good as Isaiah Alfonso is having as far as his season goes, I don't know if he can single-handedly carry this team um, like he was like maybe he was able to do against Idaho, for instance. Because Washington, Idaho, you can't compare them. So I'll be very curious to see who you know if if Jade Knopp shows up and and he's 100%. Because if he's 100%, he's a real handful and he could change this game and make it a lot tighter than maybe the scoreline would uh, or at least the the odds would suggest. Scott Eklund, wrap it up. Uh, you know, echo a lot of what Chris said. I think Cal's going to do everything they can to keep Washington from having those long passes down the field. So Washington's going to have to just be patient, pick and choose their spots. Um, they need to get the running game going a little bit. I think they will. Uh, I need, they need to get after the quarterback. I think they can get a couple of turnovers and I think Washington's going to go on to a comfortable win, but it might be a little closer than we think. Maybe like, uh, 21, 10 at halftime. And then Washington kind of you know, make some halftime adjustments and, and streaks out to a pretty big win. So big win for Washington. I think tonight they get uh, um, uh, conference play started off on the right foot. And then, uh, then, uh, you know, they kind of turn their, their, don't they have, they have a bye week and then they turn their t- attention to Oregon, right? So uh, I've got Arizona next week. Oh, Arizona next week. And then the bye week and then Oregon. So yeah, big, big, uh, big couple weeks here for Washington. Yeah. For those, um, we wait for special seasons like this, and this has got the chance to be one of the special teams all time at Washington. If you have a chance to get to the game, get to the game. If you have tickets, get there early. Um, the weather's not expected to be great. We're expecting football weather uh, tonight with a chance of rain and uh, temperatures in the in the 50s. So, uh, you know, the days of going to the games up here with shorts on, I think those days are done. But, you know, you kick, you're going to love the fact that if you get to go to these games, you know, 20 years from now, you're going to be able to say, I saw Michael Penix. I saw Rome Mudunzi, I saw Jalen McMillan. I saw all these guys. And I think it's truly something special. So get there, get there early, be loud. So looking forward to tonight's game. So anyways, uh, for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grinnells along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go dogs. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. 
From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You don't want to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+.